0: For people who are just interested in making a difference try to find someone who has that same passion as well because you know i had like that sort of vague idea in high school that i wanted to do something related to like tech education it wasn't until i met my co-founder in like we were in like this sort of research program in high school Um, i was just like you know showing off my website to like a couple of friends and he said, like, oh, you know how to program? And he was like, oh, what language do you program in? Yeah. Like, what do you use to build that website? And I was like, you know, HTML, CSS, yeah. JavaScript. And it's like, oh, I know those things too. And then, like, yeah. we just, like, sort of, like, bonded over that. And then we, like, started talking. We realized that, like, there aren't many people who, like, know tech in San Antonio who are mm-hmm. high school students. And then that sort of, like, school's a hackathon and apps It was just built off of that. Wow. Yeah. Just, like, find people who have the same passions that you do.
1: That was Abhinav Suri, who's a co-director and project manager of a student-led initiative called Hack for Impact, which connects student software developers with impact-focused organizations to create positive change through technology and coding. He's also co-founded an organization called Apps for Aptitude in high school, which aims to decrease the illiteracy rate and increase awareness of STEM education within the San Antonio area in the United States. My name is Asung San Ratna, and this is Lantern. Podcast about young people trying to change the world, trying to understand what that actually means. I wanted to cover Hack for Impact when I first saw them at the Students' Activities Fair whilst I was on exchange at the University of Pennsylvania. And these guys really stood out because, you know, you see a lot of student-led pro bono consulting organisations, but combining students learning computer science or having an interest in coding with organisations making a difference and helping solve their technical problems was something completely different. So here's that interview where I talked to Abinav about not only Hack for impact but starting apps for aptitude, His advice for reaching out and building a network of supporters around your own initiative and also some interesting um, discussion towards the end on the rise of artificial intelligence and how that might impact society. And before we jump in I made the a foolish mistake not to press record on my own microphone uh, in this episode. So if you know if you notice the audio quality on my end is a little poor, you'll know why um, apologies for that in advance, but hopefully you can still in, enjoy this episode.
0: Yeah, so my name is Abhinav Suri, I'm a junior at Penn studying CS and bio and I'm also the projects manager of an organization on campus called hack for impact And what hack for impact does, like a brief sentence, is that we help nonprofits with technical projects. If they want to take on a new initiative but they don't have developers on their team or they can't afford it, we work with them over a semester and we bring that project to life, allowing them to target this new audience that they didn't have access before. Um, So basically the reason why I'm really passionate about Hack for Impact and in general like this whole idea of using tech to benefit social good is that in the past I've always been passionate about community and how community is something that shapes you and your experiences and how you can use, like, technology in general to help benefit that community and reach out to, like, this whole segment of a population that, you know, could really use uh, technology in their lives.
1: I'm interested. How, how did that passion come about? Was it, like, a particular event, or was it, I don't know, a culmination of different things or product of <laughs> your environment?
0: Yeah, so basically whenever I was in high school, I was part of... Um, a nonprofit called Apps for Aptitude that my friend and I started. And the way that we got to start it actually was that um, both of us were pretty much, both of us were from San Antonio. And if you were to, you know, count on both of your hands how many people who are high schoolers in San Antonio who knew how to program, you would probably not reach past, like, your first hand. (laughs) Um, So what we wanted to do was that we wanted to make technology, and most importantly, like coding education accessible to a large amount of people in San Antonio. Because um, I'm not sure how many people know about San Antonio, but like we're a great city and all. It's just that we haven't invested a lot into coding education. Um, so like a lot of the high schools don't have AP computer science or any sort of introductory computer science course. Um, so what we wanted to do was that we wanted to like provide a way for these high school students and middle school students to actually get access to a coding education or some experience with coding before they actually like try and like explore further through like local universities, they offer like CS classes and stuff like that. Um, so that's how Apps for Aptitude got started. Initially, we were about um, spreading like the uh, the usefulness of coding education and encouraging like coding literacy, um, and uh, that sort of culminated in this event that we do every year called Schools Out Hackathon. And with that, um, basically, what we do is that we rent out a space for 24 hours. We invite all the high school students in San Antonio and we tell them, okay, you have 24 hours. We will give you food. We will give you mentorship. We'll give you like industry experts who know like all these technologies that you're going to be developing with. And for these 24 hours, you're just going to be working on like learning how to program. Right. Um, so, like, our first year, 500 students, second year, 500 students as well. And it's still continuing on, even though. The co founders, uh, me and my friend, have already graduated. So it's really exciting. Um, And like, whenever I came to college, I really wanted to pursue that sort of avenue. Like, how can you use technology to benefit the community? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I came across Hack for Impact, which was an organization uh, that was just started like in the past year. I joined uh, Penn when I was in 2015. Hack for Impact started in 2014. Yeah, Yeah. So. You know, whenever I came across Hack for Impact, um, I just knew that this would be like the right fit for me because yeah. it was like very much in line with what I was doing already as a high schooler. Yeah. Instead of like not focusing on like CS education necessarily, it was more focusing on like how can CS directly benefit organizations that don't have like that sort of like access to developers and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: I'm curious, how did you get the resources to be able to? Work? hold such a large event because it seems like you know you've got food you've got a venue you've got industry experts like two high school kids out there and Tony how do you get to that stage
0: yeah so a lot of it was um so like both of us who started this thing uh, we are both programmers and yeah. um we also knew like how to sort of exploit LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, okay. So, uh, we actually came up with a script that would, like, look through, oh, like, wow. <laughs> crawl through our okay. LinkedIn networks and, like, yeah. our second and third degree connections, right. and we would just see, like, if anyone was, like, head of, like, outreach or head of, like, external relations at, oh. like, some sort of tech company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, once we had those names, we could just, like, look through and see, okay, is there any sort of, like, public record of, like, where these names are? And there are, like, services that do that for you, but, like, yeah, 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 yeah. so. yeah. like yeah, yeah, stuff like RocketReach, Hunter.io. Um, but yeah. So over the course, I think of like the first year, we sent out somewhere in the neighborhood of around one thousand to two thousand emails. Wow. Um, right. but our response rate wasn't great. We only got like thirty responses, but yeah. like those thirty responses were all we needed.
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah. Um, and plus, like in San Antonio, if the startup community or like that mm. community that's interested in like tech in general is like very small, like. You know, once you get into that community, you already know everyone there. Yeah. Um, and, like, they already know, like, pretty huge industry experts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, uh, once we got into that community and we got in by saying that we're two high schoolers and yeah, we're, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. there's, like, a certain appeal to being, like, young yeah, in this sort of yeah. community because like, everyone thinks you're, like, really amazing, yeah. even though you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, once you get into that community, you just have, like, those connections automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly... After that, everything just, like, sort of fell in place. Um, and, of course, there was, like, a lot of logistical work. Like, if you're hosting anything for 24 hours, you have to, like, worry about stuff like, okay, I got to have security at the event. I have to make sure yeah, that right. there are, like, some sort of, like, adult chaperones and yeah. stuff like that. I have yeah. to have, like, someone who's willing to, like, drive at the last minute to, like, get stuff and everything yeah. like that. Um, but... You guys
1: got it by mentors or were you just learning on the fly?
0: So, um. We were more or less learning on the fly because even for like the company that was like, that we rented out the space from, um, they didn't know what was going (laughs) on either. Um, like the idea of a hackathon, which is like what the event was, um, that had not been anywhere in South Texas at that time, or even in Texas. I mean, you typically see these hackathons and stuff like that at college campuses. And even then they're always on like East or West Coast. You don't even see that in like, the middle of America itself. Right, right. Um, so, like a lot of a lot of this was just like, okay, we went to like a couple hackathons ourselves. We right. saw how things were being done. You know, we knew we had to provide food for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew we had to do like prizes and stuff like that. Um, and then after that, we just like sort of modeled off of like, okay, how does like a college hackathon do it? Mm-hmm. Um, we know that like certain things won't really work. Like, you know, recruiting won't really work for high schoolers. Um, yeah. So we had to, like, provide, like, some other way to, like, incentivize sponsors to come to our event. And, like, their primary incentive was that, like, they could show that they're really engaging in the community through yeah. our event. Okay. Um, yeah. So, like, that was, like, primary draw for sponsors. Um, cool. And then after that, you know, we just uh, sort of were just dealing with logistical stuff for the better half of the year before our first event.
1: For those who don't
0: know, what exactly is a hackathon? Yeah, so it's kind of like what I was describing earlier. Um, So a hackathon is literally a place, or I guess like you could just say like an extended period of time, uh, where you, your friends, and a couple hundred other people are all in the same place, and you're working together to finish up like some sort of project, technical project usually. Um, and then at the end, you'll present it. Um, you'll, there'll be, like, this sort of, like, big expo where you're just, like, presenting, like, what you hacked on over the weekend. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, there are prizes and stuff at the end. I should clarify, it's, like, not actually, like, hacking. You aren't, like, going into, like, government yeah. servers or anything <laughs> like that. Um, yeah. You're more or less just, like, thinking of, like, okay, what cool thing mm-hmm. could I build within, like, this short period of time um, and uh, how can I make sure that it's the best that it can be and it has a purpose
1: cool 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 I want to go back to um, you guys with your outreach strategy so I know that's kind of one of the major roadblocks when young people are building a movement particularly around social change is how can they gather support because you'll have this great idea but how do we get you know the funding or the mentors or the kind of um, legitimacy from backing from organizations to be able to you know enact the change they want to um, so with how you were reaching out so that was quite technical in terms of running script yeah um, <laughs> but was there anything you learned from sending those two thousand emails like what works um, do you have any tips <laughs> to people
0: yeah so what works is typically not sending out 2,000 <laughs> emails <laughs> right, right. Um, because more or less it will always get sent to their spam folder right. and um, yeah so What does work is, like, let's say you're a high school student and um, let's say, like, your friend's parents or whatever, they, like, vaguely know, like, some person in industry. Like, ask your friend's parents, can I have, like, an introduction to that person? Because even, like, those 30 responses we got back, most of them were, like, based in San Antonio or had been in San Antonio at some part of their lives. So, like, they already knew, like, the situation that we were dealing with. Mm. They knew, like, a couple of people that we knew already so, like, it was just, like, coincidence that, like, they managed to respond. And right. they were also, like, from San Antonio and stuff like that. But, like, for people who are young, who don't really have, like, all those connections, I would just recommend, like, reaching out to your immediate friend circle. And if you wanted to do, like, something like a hackathon or something like that, more or less in your city, there may be, like, some sort of, like, small, like, startup working space. Mm-hmm. Um, for San Antonio, that place was called Geekdom. And we literally just went there for like all their community events and we would just say like, oh, we're a couple high schoolers who are like interested in this yeah, idea. Yeah. You know, we'd really love to have you and your startup come and like do a workshop or something like that. Would you be interested? Um, and most of the time they would say yes, because like it's for them to do a workshop is like low cost to them. Right. Plus they get to like advertise their product. Right. And then they'll say like, oh, you guys are doing something pretty cool. Let me like tell you yeah. about like, oh, my friend who like works at Microsoft or something like that who deals with like community outreach type stuff.
1: So I'm thinking, like, even if um, it's not a co-working space, so if people working not primarily in tech, they can go to, I don't know, community groups or...
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I know, like, a couple of um, members in Hack for Impact itself, and um, they worked at uh, this startup called Meetup. And, like, I was looking into them, and, like, basically, they have... It's, like, a platform for all these, like, Mm. sort of community-type events. Um, So, like, if you have meetup, I guess you can yeah. just like look on that and then see if there's anything related to like technology. And I know in Philly, like our techs, our technology scene is like yeah. pretty strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. On this journey, um, obviously, you guys would have made, I'm sure, numerous mistakes, as we all have. <laughs> um, how did you kind of approach that? Learn from those mistakes?
0: Yeah, like uh, probably the most, the most damaging mistake was the, um, like. So whenever you apply for a nonprofit status in a state, yeah. that doesn't exempt you from tax in that state.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: But we already went through like five hundred one c three. We got five hundred one c three, so we were federally tax exempt. Yeah, yeah. However, Texas is one of those few states that actually still charges tax to yeah. nonprofits. Wow. Okay. So yeah. at the end of the year, yeah. we got hit with this like two thousand dollar bill from yeah. the state, yeah, yeah. and we were like, we have no idea what to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, because like we had already burned through all our money for wow. the hackathon and wow. stuff like that, um, and eventually we managed to like reach out to like several people and like the state government. Yeah, um, so it was just when you're young, yeah. you can make these mistakes. Yeah, right. Um, and like whenever I came to Hack for Impact and I said that like, oh, I can make you guys like 501c3 and like an official nonprofit. Um, I already, like, learned, like, what I needed to do. So I explicitly yeah. checked up on all of those yeah. things. Yeah. And it, it's just a fact. You're not going to get these things 100% right the first yeah. time you go around. But sure. once you get those things wrong, just, like, always fight and make sure that you can, like, try and rectify that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because we wouldn't have known that we could actually, like, fight this, uh, this like, sort of $2,000 charge until, like, we reached out to uh, one member of that small startup community in san antonio who was also he used to be a lawyer right. so like we reached out to him and he said and we said like we're just like a couple of like yeah. 17 year olds yeah. <laughs> like can't we just like say that we're young and they said like yeah usually they'll like write off that type of stuff okay. yeah so general advice is just like you know learn from the mistake see if you can like try and rectify it if not it's it's no big deal, just, like, make sure you don't do it again, I mean, that's general advice yeah, for all yeah, mistakes, yeah, I guess, yeah. but yeah.
1: And you mentioned that uh, it's still aptitude and um, school's out still going on. Yes, um, yeah. How did you, since you, you two were so invested in the project, once you guys moved on, how did you, I'm sure you're still involved in some way, but mm-hmm. how did you make sure that there was someone to transition it off to when you guys have been so involved in it. Yeah. Sometimes I know it's hard to give up, or can you find the right person. How do you build a team? How do you How do you guys go about that?
0: Yeah, so it was primarily about making sure that there were always younger members on our team um, because I believe I started this when I was like in my sophomore year okay. or something like that. Um, But yeah, like, I remember, like, we would always, like, try and see if there are, like, any freshmen who are interested and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's primarily how it's, like, sustaining itself. Like, we always make sure that there are younger members on our team who are always, like, really involved with, like, the event planning process itself. um, So that they know the people who we are coordinating with. They know, like, our previous, like, challenges so that the next year they can just like pretty much do like the exact same thing that we did and improve upon that if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I think like probably like the hardest part was actually like finding a team because you have to like make sure that like these, they they need to be high school students as well. Um, of course, like at some point in the future, it may be like actual adults are doing this thing, but I don't know. I feel like it might take away from like what we're doing, but, um, like we recruited like high school students themselves right, and right. it was more of just like you know which friends of ours like would be interested wow. in this sort of thing yeah. um actually i do remember like our first like external team member yeah. we we got him he was uh, his name is Kanzi Yi and he he responded to like one of our facebook ads like oh, okay. we put out like a facebook ad like yeah. Saying, like, we're looking for, like, someone to join our team in in the San Antonio area who would be, like, interested in helping out, like, build, like, an iOS app or something. And, like, he just responded, like, within a few hours of that Facebook ad going out. And, um, yeah, he went to, like, another high school in our area. And, yeah, that was, like, really fortuitous. Um, and then he also knew, like, a lot of people in San Antonio who had, like, some exposure to tech previously. Right. So, um, that was pretty good
1: as well. So, moving on to Hack for Impact. Yeah. Um, I know you weren't part of, you know, the founding team mm-hmm. explicitly, but how did that uh, kind of come about?
0: Yeah. So, basically, Hack for Impact was founded in 2014 by these two uh, people at Penn, Drew and Ali. Um, and they're both in the M&T program, and one of the things that they noticed was that there were... Oh, uh, what's the m and program? Oh, right. Uh, yeah, so the M&T program at Penn is this uh, dual degree program between um, the Warden School, which is a business school, and the engineering school. Right. Um, so they had noticed that there were a lot of people on campus who were just, like, doing a lot of these, like, side projects, doing development and stuff like that, but these side projects wouldn't necessarily be used to any sort of benefit. It would just be like, oh, I built a cool thing that did yeah, this. Okay, yeah, sure. um, so one of the things that they wanted to do was that they wanted to, like, append to the, oh, I built a cool thing phrase. Right, right. They wanted to say, like, that benefited this organization, that benefited this sort of social cause mm-hmm. and caused, like, mm-hmm. these many people to be impacted. Mm-hmm. So they found at that time that there weren't many on-campus organizations that were doing coding in the first place. Yeah. And then on top of that, doing coding with a social impact focus. Right, right. Um, so from there, that's how they, they started Hack for Impact. They wanted, they wanted an avenue for students to build code and projects that actually do matter beyond mm-hmm. like, you know, just like the recruitment process or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe like it was <laughs> whenever they first formed the club, um, it was like a bit too late for um, them to get registered with the okay. engineering yeah, student yeah, activities yeah. fair. Um, yeah. So the engineering student activities fair is just like a it's sort of like a fair where like all the clubs sort of just like pitched to like new it's students right. like, oh join our club and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so they didn't get recognized in time yeah, enough yeah, to yeah. be there for that. However, they literally just like printed out a bunch of flyers. We're right. standing at the beginning of that engineering student activities fair <laughs> and just yelling, join Hack for Impact. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh we want developers and stuff like yeah. that. Um so <laughs> I always found that story pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. Um and then um so for the first semester, uh we were dealing with like reaching out to nonprofits, and right off the bat that was like our primary objective. We wanted to make sure that like, we had a project yeah. under our belt before we like continue to reach out to like even more nonprofits. Yeah. Yeah. Um so the first semester, we worked with Kiva, um, and that was just like through a connection that we already had, that Drew and Ali already had. Um, they Only knew Kiva. Kiva is a nonprofit, and what they primarily deal with is just like sort of like international impact sort of okay, things. Sure. Um, so they had known um, a person who had been involved with Kiva before, um, so they reached out to him and they at- and just asked, like, would you have like any projects that you'd be interested in taking? like letting us take on, um, because like your technical team doesn't have like necessarily the bandwidth to do it, they said, yeah. sure, we have this project for you. Um, so that was like really quite fortuitous that like we managed to work with such an organization on our first semester. Um, and then after that, we just like pointed to our previous projects and yeah. like more clients have always hopped on. Cool. Um, and now hack for impact is around 30 members. Cool. We're taking on about like four to five projects every semester. And um, I think that it's really amazing the work that we're doing because it is, like, code that actually does matter. Right. Um, because, like, I do, like, side projects and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, beyond me and, like, my close friends, I don't think anyone will ever use them. Yeah. But, like, for the projects I've made for Hack for Impact, like, I actually see, like, people who will are using it or will use it. And, like, yeah. we get, like, regular updates from our clients saying that, like, this many users have used our application like thank you so much for it and that's just like that's like incredibly rewarding as mm. someone who just like makes code that like right. your code is actually yeah. being used if
1: you're not bound by a confidentiality can you kind of walk us through some of, some of the projects you work on like the kind of range of different types of things
0: yeah so um basically it's like an introduction to our project structure and how the club works is that the club will have around like 30 members and uh, we'll take on between like four or five projects each semester. Sure. Uh, within each project, you'll have about six students working on it, about like five to six students working on it um, per sem- for like that semester. Mm-hmm. And then within each team, you'll have a product manager. Um, so like they'll be the person in charge of like communicating with the actual nonprofit client, like here's our status and stuff like that. And do you want any input? Um, and then we also have like a technical lead on the team. So, like the projects I've done before, um, up until now, I've been a technical lead on the projects just because, like, I enjoy working on the tech. More importantly, I enjoy teaching our members who are like completely new to web development, like how does this sort of thing work in general. Um, So, like the projects I worked on are um, one was for the Reading Terminal Market. It's this um, tourist attraction in Philadelphia, but more importantly. It's um it's sort of like this marketplace where like people like sell foods and goods and stuff like that, um, and it's been in Philadelphia for like the past two hundred plus years, right. um, so it's a really old institution. But it's like been ingrained into the Philadelphia culture. Um, so we were working with um, them over the course of a semester. Well, actually, it turned out to be a year um, to create like this sort of online system for the people who are selling stuff in the market to get Mm -hmm. access to um, all the people who are selling, like, raw goods for them. So, like, the classic example is, like, um, let's say that there's a deli in the writing terminal market, um, and they need, like, I don't know, raw beef or something like that. Um, So there are several of these people called vendors who will sell raw beef. However, because everything is all done like, pencil and paper, Mm -hmm. you don't know whether you're getting the best price or not. And the primary reason why... Um, this was sort of like a project we wanted to take on was because we learned that if a new or like if a new like merchant in the Philadelphia Reading Terminal Market was like if they're just starting out, chances are they wouldn't be able to succeed past five years because they would always end up getting screwed on the prices. Right. Um, okay. So, and the great thing that makes Reading Terminal Market great is because of like all the diversity of like shops and like people yeah, yeah, you yeah. find there. And it was just that you know the market was just inherently competitive because you don't know like who else is out there. Um, so what we did was that we created like the sort of online marketplace for all these new people to get into the market and get like the best prices possible on their food. Um, so over the course of a semester, we built it out so that this place would be essentially like a mini Amazon for people. Um, they would have up to it has like up to like hundred thousand items last time I checked on there, um, and it's just like. We looked at um, the project after it had been launched officially, and we saw that like uh, the new merchants on the market who are just joining in, they're being far more successful than they would have previous to this project. Wow. Um, so like, that was like one of the projects I worked on. And I think that another project that I worked on was for this uh, pro bono legal organization called Community Legal Services. And what they do is that um, they focus on this thing called anti-wage theft cases um, so wage theft is this concept uh, where employee employers will not pay employees for all the time that they actually did like do the work so like classic example is like an employee says like oh you were here for only five hours on like Wednesday. Therefore, I'm only paying you for five hours. When the employee says, no, wait, I was here like for like eight or nine hours. I should be paid at that full amount. Um, So like whenever community legal services takes on this case, they're asking these employees like, okay, where were you two months ago on this day at this time? And the employees, they don't remember. Um, however, all of them carry around smartphones with them. Right. And usually it ends up being like an Android smartphone. Yeah. Um, and Android smartphones have this thing. It's a Google location history tracking enabled by default. Wow, okay. So what you can do is that you can tell the employee to just go on to our website, which we developed for them, and just like put in your Google lo- tra- location history data, which you can just download, um, and then just like... S- load it into this application, select the place where you work, and this application will actually generate like a timesheet for you based on your Google location history. Cool. And moreover, none of that data is stored on any sort of server. Yeah. Um, so we make sure that like everything is like private. It's yeah. just staying on that computer that the person is using. Um, so I found that project to be super interesting because like there are a lot of technical constraints around that like one thing you can't do any sort of like server type stuff you had to do it all on the client's computer google location history files are huge because Mm -hmm. it literally takes like where you are every five minutes um and like you're dealing (laughs) with like these data dumps that Mm -hmm. would be like two years worth of location history um and then also just like a number of like different things like you know these location points aren't always like super accurate to the meter. you always have to yeah. include like some sort of like confidence measure and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, but wow. like last time I followed up with community legal services, they said that they're saving so much time now mm. because previously they had to like sit down with like five hour interviews with each of these clients yeah, yeah. and like determine like where they were maybe on this specific day. Mm. Um, yeah. But now they think they can just generate this timesheet for them yeah. and this timesheet will like allow them to jog their memory and that can be used in a lot of court cases. Mm. Um, so, like, community legal services, like, actively using it in several court cases, um, which I think is just super exciting. How did you
1: guys get from the the problem at hand mm-hmm. to the solution you devised? What, what was that process like? Was it...
0: For, like, community legal services Ooh, specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So, the problem at hand was that community legal services, or CLS, um, they were just... Spending a lot of time trying to like figure out exactly where all these employees are on like what date, mm-hmm. um, and so we just like sort of like asked them like all this stuff regarding their employees, and then like we eventually came to this point where they like we were like asking like I we had like this inkling that you know some of the employees like have like smartphones of course, mm-hmm. um, and then we asked like do any of them have like Android smartphones because I and like another team member. Um, we had already known because, like, we discussed with the clients that, like, some of these employees would like have Android smartphones, and they may have like location history enabled by default. Right, right. Um, and then from there, we just said, like, okay, we can use this location history, mm-hmm. um, and then we can use it to like just sort of like map out where all these employees have been. Mm-hmm. And then from there, everything just sort of fell in place. It yeah. was more that project was more about like all the sort of technical stuff that was involved with creating right, it. Right. Um, and that's what we spent, like, the majority of the yeah. six months developing it on. Um, and, like, that was, like, the primary reason I enjoyed that project. It was, like, for all the yeah, technical yeah. challenges that came up. And then yeah. all, the, all the different, um, you know, consequences of all, like, the project itself. Yeah. That was just, like, sort of, like, an added bonus. Um, yeah. Because, like, we saw, like, it actually being used.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Can you um, maybe quickly take us through... Um just like a, a summary of some other projects you might be working on
0: now. yeah, so actually this semester is pretty exciting. Um, we're working with a few organizations for them. Um, one project is for ACLU. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, what they're doing is that we have ACLU basically has like a bunch of docket sheets for like all these Philadelphia, all these court cases across the United States actually. Um,
1: the ACLU for those not in the US.
0: Yes. Yeah. American Civil Liberties Union. Um, so they primarily deal with like civil issues and stuff like that. Um, and one of the primary things that they wanted to do is that they have all these like PDFs of like court docket yeah, yeah, yeah. cases, which state like um, you know what crime was being prosecuted and like what the results were. They have like um, all the different data regarding like the people who are being accused and yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And they wanted us to figure out some way us to uh, extract data from those pdfs that's the first thing and then secondly like to be able to allow them to just like pick out like some variables to track and then plot out all the different um trends that may aso- come from like those variables um so like one of the things that they pointed out too was like um you know likelihood of being convicted for a crime versus like race of the person um so that's like something that we're working on right now and we think that's like a super exciting project because we're dealing with big data. Um, yeah. <laughs> all, okay. all these buzzwordy type yeah. things. Um, but it, it's a really interesting technical project. I'm not on it, but all the team members are on it, but like, really excited to like tackle this sort of problem. The last project that we're working on that I'm actually the project manager for um, is for an organization called Madactari Africa. Um, so what they do is that they send uh, doctors from the united states out to tanzania Mm -hmm. to educate the doctors there how to do specialized procedures Mm -hmm. Um, because in tanzania one of the primary uh, issues that they have with the medical system is one there aren't enough doctors and then second the doctors who do end up being trained only get trained in generalized uh, like specialties Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't actually know how to do like advanced neurosurgery or cardiothoracic surgery they have to rely on like foreign doctors to come in or for the patient to be transported out to like some other country that has like the doctors Mm -hmm. to handle that type of stuff so madactari is actually like sending out doctors who know stuff from the united states to teach those people in tanzania how to do those procedures um and like the primary reason they came to us was that recently they've been having a ton of issues trying to coordinate like Amongst all the doctors who are interested, like first of all, like who fits the specialties? How can we make sure that we're sending for like the optimal, like extended period of time? Yeah. We also need to make sure that there are nurses and technicians on the team that we send out. Yeah. They have to get like all their forms in and stuff like that. So we're basically building like this sort of volunteer management system for them. And I think that that will benefit like a lot of incoming doctors who plan to be interested in going on a mediterranean trip in the future. I think then have the thing
1: then with have for impact is. How how are you guys approaching engaging students with, you know, in, within like the computer science space? Are you kind of attracting people who have already a passion for social impact, or is it you know people who you know it's a great opportunity? I can you know chuck it on the resume kind of thing. Um, how are you kind of yeah. engaging people with this concept of you can use your technical skills to to make a difference?
0: Yeah, so, like, I mean, the primary things that we do is that, um, first of all, like, at um, PennApps, which is an on-campus hackathon that we host every year at University of Pennsylvania. I think it's probably the most well-attended hackathon. I'm not sure that record always gets passed around, like, every year. Um, But anyway, we always host a workshop there, like, engaging with, like, civic hacking and stuff like that. And then, like, secondly, we're launching, like, chapter programs across the United States to allow more people to get interested in hacker Impact. Um, and then lastly, we're integrating some of the client projects that we're doing now into some of the computer science curriculum at Penn. Oh, wow. um, so there's this one class called Sys350. Um, and what that class does is that they work on like basically a, a project for uh, a fictional client uh, right. like to create like some sort of app, and then we're like, well, we have a real client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so would anyone be interested in yeah, like doing right. that? So we're right. piloting that this year. Um, but I, I think that whenever we're actually looking to get students directly involved with Hack for Impact yeah. as a member of the club, the number one thing that we're looking for is just this inherent, this inherent drive to like do social impact. Mm-hmm. We can always teach someone like the technical background they need to like mm-hmm. do these projects, right. um, but we can't necessarily teach that inherent drive for social impact. Um, so like when we're looking for new members that's the number one thing that we always want to emphasize like okay great you have like a bazillion projects with you or whatever yeah We don't necessarily like care about that to a great extent we care about like okay have you demonstrated that like you like to go out into the community target some need and then benefit that need Um, and that's like the primary thing that we always want to make sure that all of our members have like some sort of inherent passion for some sort of cause, mm. um, and during the year we always try and make sure that like we're doing like speaker series like for people who are doing um, interesting things in tech related to right. social impact, right, right. Um, and yeah, basically we just wanted like see more students at Penn go beyond just building cool projects to building projects mm-hmm. that actually have that sort of. Um, impact in the
1: community. You wrote a piece on AI um, and inequality. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with um, the Foundation for Young Australians Mm -hmm. um, back home and they uh, published a a major report which got a lot of press and sparked a lot of debate around the the new work order for young people. Um, And one of the major themes within that was artificial intelligence. can you kind of explain what you're exploring there with AI and inequality?
0: Yeah. So you have been doing your research. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that piece—it um, was an article that I wrote. Um, it evolved out of the sociology paper I did. That was only like I think like five pages in length, and I just like explored on that like during the summer, yeah. um, and eventually published it. But basically, it's dealing with this um, this trend that I've noticed in like artificial intelligence and how it's generally getting smarter as like you're seeing in the news every day, like Google built like a bot that can defeat like the world champions and like Go and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So at some point, we're going to get to this um, place where artificial intelligence is actively taking over US jobs to a significant extent. And I think like the most, the like upcoming, thing that's most likely going to be replaced or jobs that by involved driving in some form or another right. like you already see like some cities are already rolling out like uber driverless cars yeah, and like right. it isn't too far from the point where um, truckers can be mm-hmm. replaced by artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and for companies this is like inherently very very attractive because one, it minimizes the amount of costs that they're going to be, like, paying out mm. to, like, the truckers themselves. Two, you don't have to worry about insurance benefits for, like, an AI. Wow. <laughs> and then, like, three, you're minimizing the amount of accidents that could potentially happen yeah. because of, like, sleepy drivers and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think that companies will inherently be driven to, like, maximize their profits and go towards, like, this sort of, like, AI-based workforce, mm. Um, and as a result of that we're going to have like a lot of short-term unemployment Mm -hmm. and though I preface that with short-term it'll be devastating for like that I don't know like 20 to 30 years Mm -hmm. after that technology is introduced into the market and it's actively replacing jobs and you have to deal with the fact that even though you're going to be like saving money as a company there is going to be this very real person who you're taking, like, their livelihoods away. Mm. Um, So in the report, or in that, like, sort of article that I wrote, I I just explore, like, what are, like, the potential consequences of AI and how how inequality would end up playing out in the workforce. Mm. Um, So, like, basically there are two scenarios. One is, like, we end up with, like, this total huge disparity between the people who can afford AI for their companies or whose jobs are extremely specialized to the point where it cannot be replaced by AI, mm-hmm. um, and those whose jobs are easily replaced by AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, the government will need to figure out some way to deal with this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, one possible solution is throwing education at the problem, mm-hmm. um, though that solution may not be like super viable. Another uh, solution is universal basic income for people who don't have jobs. Um, and then at last point, I remember like one of the art, one of the authors that I was reading said that like there will be like a communist revolution and stuff like that. I did not put that in the article. <laughs> um, so I think that whenever that sort of, I think that that sort of inequality will start to arise pretty soon, unless the government can come up with like some sort of way to regulate that AI economy yeah. to begin with, where to a point where it's like. The companies don't have an obvious choice to replace a real job with an AI job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that in the future, that's something that we're gonna have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is unique because it's it's it, it's like replacing jobs that we thought were so specialized yeah. that like no machine could like overtake. Um, and previously, like. If we had looked at, uh, like, the classic example I gave was just, um, like, farming jobs in the United States. Just think about, like, 100 years ago, like, the farming industry employed about, like, 90% of rural people. Mm -hmm. And now it's just, like, 2%. Um, Of course, those people have moved on to better jobs now because they receive, like, much better education and stuff. Mm -hmm. But within that, like, 20 to 30-year time span, after, like, a lot of, like, machines were introduced to make the lives of the farmer easier... There were a lot of people who are unemployed, um, so you have to deal with that. Um, so once AI is introduced, I don't think that we're going to reach like a state of like economic equality, as like everyone suggests. More likely, it will be inequality for like probably a generation or two, wow. and then we'll probably make it back towards like generalized equality. But I think that the government do does need to like figure out like some sort of solution to help mitigate that sort of unemployment that will come right after AI. And then the other like potential avenue is that like, oh, human specialized jobs, or like jobs that are like only humans can do, like, you know, like things that involve like person-to-person interaction, like I don't know, like waitressing, that was like the example that they gave. That would be like much more in demand now because like no one wants to interact with robots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Mm. you know, it could go either way though,
1: (laughs) yeah. And if you're sitting, um, wherever you are listening to this and thinking, you know, I'm going to try my hand at coding, what's, what's the best place to start? Say if you don't have access to an introductory CS course because, you know, you're not at college yet, you're still in high school or your high school doesn't offer that. Um, what, yeah, where, where do you start?
0: Uh, I would honestly start on YouTube. Um, that's how I learned programming. And honestly, uh, like I learned a lot more practical programming than I ever did and ever have in my university courses here Um, because like you know hardcore computer science it's all about algorithms it's about math it's not about programming itself if you want to learn programming just look up like how to do like this sort of thing in YouTube like I remember the first thing I looked up in YouTube was like how do I build a website because I was tasked with building a website for my robotics team that was my first like quote-unquote programming project Um, So then I walked through, like, this eight-hour tutorial series on, like, how to build a website Mm -hmm. from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that, importantly, if you're just starting out, just, like, have a brief, like, a small idea of, like, what you want to build. Mm -hmm. Um, I always advocate project-based learning to begin with. Um, So have an idea of what you want to build, and then try to find some tutorial series that kind of matches closely to that. So, like, if you say, I want to build the next Facebook like the next Facebook app or something like that first of all start out how do I build an app and then move on to like okay how do I build like a server that stores data Mm -hmm. Um, and then last tutorial is like how do I connect the server with the app Um, and then just like sort of like build off from like all the different things that you learn and try to customize it along those tutorial series that you do eventually you won't get to like quite building Facebook apps and stuff (laughs) Um, but you'll get to the point where like you have like a project under your belt and then you can just like build off of that for your future
1: stuff. And last two questions. Mm -hmm. Um, Firstly, do you have any books, films or videos you would recommend for young people who want to make an impact or difference?
0: Impact or a difference? Um, It's a tough question. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is a tough question. I I think that in the lines of like books, etc. Well, one thing that I would advocate for is just in general like if you want to do like something that is related to social impact get like some sort of knowledge of like technology first inherently like when you're going to be developing your own cause you'll need to like deal with some sort of technical aspects whether that's simply like building a website or even using technology as like some sort of inherent driver for your impact Um, just like sort of get introduced to that and that's Mm -hmm. of course like through YouTube and stuff like that. Um, with regards to books itself, <laughs> um, if you don't have
1: anything, that's
0: fine. Yeah, at the top of my head, or stuff the, that's yeah, I mean, the only thing that I can really think of off the top of my head is uh, *Grit* by Angela Duckworth, right. but uh, I did not read that in high school. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but regardless, like that book is just about, um, you know, whenever you start out in the source of space or in just like in any space in general you look at the people who are like really good in that space and you think that they have inherent talent and most of the time that isn't the case it's more of like they didn't have like the inherent talent in the first place they just worked really hard um and you know the people who end up do having that inherent talent like most of the time they aren't like doing amazing things in that sort of space um it's always the people who work hardest um who will do that stuff primarily my reading is around like ai and (laughs) biology and stuff like that so Yeah, AI stuff, Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, read that. (laughs)
1: Okay, Um, and final question, is there anything else you'd like to add, knowing that, um, you know, talking to high school students, college students, um, who want to make a difference? I
0: think that for people who are just interested in making a difference, try to find someone who has that same passion as well. Because, you know... I had, like, that sort of vague idea in high school that I wanted to do something related to, like, tech education. It wasn't until I met my co-founder in, like, we were in, like, this sort of research program in high school. Um, I was just, like, you know, showing off my website to, like, a couple of friends. And he said, like, oh, you know how to program? He was like, oh, what language do you program in? Like, what do you use to build that website? I was like, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And it's like, oh, I know those things, too. And then, like, we just, like, sort of, like, bonded over that. And then we, like, started talking. We realized that, like, there aren't many people who, like, know tech in San Antonio who are high school mm-hmm. students. And then that sort of, like, schools that hackathon and asked for rapture, it was just built off of that. Wow. Yeah. Just, like, find people who have the same passions that you do. Um, and then work w- together to, you know, help impact a lot of people.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, no problem. Thank you again for listening to our 12th episode of Lantern. That again was Abhinav Suri, who's a co-founder and project manager of the student-led initiative called Hack for Impact and also a co-founder of the high school-based Apps for Aptitude. Uh, you can find all the books, research, TED Talk, and organizations that now mentioned uh, in the show notes. Um, there'll also be a completely new episode dropping in two weeks' time on Sunday across all our platforms. That's iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get uh, your podcasts. If you did enjoy the show, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us grow and share these amazing conversations with more and more people across the globe. You can also keep up to date with... Um, the latest content we're pushing out on Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter, which are all under Project Lantern underscore, all one word, Project Lantern, underscore, and of course on our website, projectlantern.com.au. If you have any feedback for us or just want to say hi, you can reach out to us anytime on our social media or via email at hello at projectlantern.com.au. Again, we're really excited to have you on this journey in creating a global launchpad for youth-led social impact. Until next time, stay awesome.